Welcome to the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I'm your host, Jason Dubray. In this episode, I'm going solo to talk about my top 10 discoveries of 2023. Later on, I will have an episode of my top 10 of uh, new releases from 2023, but the discoveries episode is about movies that have existed sometimes for years, uh, but it was a first time watch for me uh, over this last calendar year. Some of the movies I'll be talking about I've mentioned in previous shows connected to some of the movie challenges that I've done. There's certainly one one that I've also reviewed on the program too. Um, so some of these based on my previous comments might not be a surprise. What was a surprise to me was just the sheer number of really outstanding films I saw. I, I, I feel like I ha- could have had a top 100 easily. Um, and th- these were actually tough decisions. Up to the point where I've allowed myself a tie in one uh, one position, so I'm sneaking in an 11th film for this top 10 discoveries of the year. Uh, as you can probably hear my voice, I have a bit of a cold. I've been kind of struggling with all through the fall and now into the winter here. Um, but uh, I will uh, try to truck through and uh, give you this information because uh, I'd like to get this episode out sometime at towards the end of uh, the calendar year or uh, possibly at the beginning of 2024. All right, so I'm going to start off with my number 10 choice for Discovery. This is one I mentioned in the Action April uh, Top 10 episode, which I did with uh, Sheldon Matiko, and it is uh, Park Chan-wook's Old Boy. Absolutely wild movie. It turned 20 years old this uh, this past calendar year, and it's about Ode Su who gets kidnapped and imprisoned for 15 years uh, after a really colorful sequence where um, his drinking has gotten out of control and he's creating a public nuisance for himself. And then he finds a way to escape, only to find that his kidnapper is kind of torturing him, and he's trying to figure out. Um, who this was, uh, and he has to find his captor kind of within five days. Um, there are so many twists and turns in this film. Uh, I had mentioned before that I had, I believe that I, I had watched the uh, Spike Lee remake, and it's it's okay, but this is uh, an absolute masterpiece. You can sort of see why this is considered a, a, a classic in Korean cinema. And, uh, of course, we have to sort of highlight some performances here. Uh, so Da Siu Oh is played by Choi Ming-sik, who, uh, like, a, his character goes through 
so much pain and torture and it's all in facial expressions. And initially, I think I thought the performance was a little bit over the top. But as the film goes on, it makes sense. This guy was left completely in isolation for 15 years. He doesn't know how to act anymore in society. And he struggled to act in society before he was kidnapped. We also have uh, King Yi Jong, uh, Midu, plays Midu, who is this waitress who... Uh, develops this attraction to Dasu, and we kind of watch their their romance develop over these days while having to figure out, you know, uh, who this kidnapper is. And there are some revelations about that uh, connection which um, are actually horrifying. This movie crosses a lot of different genres. It's certainly an action movie. Um, you could argue maybe in points it's an exploitation film. And I think you could maybe make a case that it has elements of horror as well, as well as being a romance and a drama. It, it, it's a lot of different things. It is a wild ride, and I'm really glad I finally was able to uh, to find it, to watch it. I've been trying for years to see this movie, but it is number 10 on my list. Number 9 is where I allowed myself a tie based around a filmmaker. Uh, so you know I had an Italian cinema episode with uh, Lindsay Wilkins, and we uh, talked about a lot of really interesting films there, but I kind of went down, and, and you'll notice there are a few Italian filmmakers that are on this list, um, but I wanted to explore Dario Argento, who is considered one of the you know, most prominent uh, horror directors uh, in Europe, Italian horror director. Again, I've been kind of working through these spaghetti westerns and some of these uh, kind of Italian movies where different people were speaking different languages and you have to kind of get used to the dubbing and all of that, which used to just really bother me and I would kind of think it would, they were kind of poorly made films. I've kind of come around on that a little bit. I'll start off with the one that has been mentioned uh, before I, I had mentioned it as far as my uh, October challenge and I was uh, really really pleased to uh, finally see uh, Phenomena this part of the country. It comes from the Alps. The blasts of warm air cause snow avalanches. While it blows, there are those who say it causes madness. Any idea why they behave like that? Never done this before. It's probably because of me. I guess they sense the mood I'm in. See, he's not afraid of you. He won't do that for me. Uh, starring Jennifer Connelly uh, as this uh, 
daughter of uh, of a famous actor who ends up in this uh, boarding house in Switzerland. Um, and she has this ability to communicate with insects. And she can also kind of see what's happening with this murder mystery. Um, it's a it's a really fascinating film. Jennifer Connelly, young Jennifer Connelly is very good in it. Uh, it's colorful. It's entertaining from beginning to end. And I, I was really happy that I uh, finally, that's another one that's been on my list for a long time. I finally was able to see it. Another one that I feel like uh, I should have seen before this year and very much considered kind of the the first film in this this giallo horror, these over-the-top, almost soap opera-ish, melodramatic crime films um, that became very, very big in Italy. And the bird with the crystal plumage. I can't get in! How do I open the door? I'm Inspector Morosini. I want to know everything you saw and heard. I can't pin it down. There was something wrong with it, something odd. There is a dangerous maniac at large in this city. Do you really love me? Sure. And just before we closed, we saw that painting that was in the window. Did you make the sale? No, uh, the poor girl did. Last night, a blonde, 28, lived alone. The press are beginning to put two and two together. They think they see a link between the four murders. No! 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 I feel that I'm getting closer to the truth every minute. That's why he's trying to kill me. This damn thing is turning into an obsession. It is a 1970 movie that really feels got that kind of going uh the other piece with the bird with the crystal plumage is uh, you can totally see watching it its influence on filmmakers like brian de palma who uh kind of took the giallo idea and then used it in a lot of his 70s and 80s um psychological thrillers slash horror movies in the bird with the crystal plumage there's an american expatriate who's in rome and he attempts to unmask who a serial killer is as he witnessed the act of an attempted murder. Um, and now, as a result, he's being hunted and his girlfriend is being hunted. Uh, again, I had kind of my, for some reason, I had my arms crossed. Well, is it as good as all that? Um, and it was. It was a very entertaining crime film. And the, the kind of attempted murder and the whole set piece around that uh, is is fantastic. I mean, it's just the almost like a trap that this guy has fallen into a literal uh, as, as it turns out in this rather extraordinary uh, building where this major scene happens. And then of course, this is another one with a lot of entertaining twists and turns for those who haven't seen it. I don't really want to, to ruin that uh, for anybody. 
but again, prim primarily a cast of Italian actors in here. And I think it's just the, the star of the film is Dario Argento. It's very well, the con concept of the film is very well put together. Uh, it's has enough, uh, you know, it's tough with crime films to kind of make it not predictable. There was enough surprise in there. Um, but it's one that you can just sit back and really uh, relax and enjoy. And uh, yeah, I guess if I was to, you know, be challenged on this a little bit, I might like uh, ph uh, Phenomena a little bit better than The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. But I thought both were worth mentioning and both by uh, Dario Argento, who I, I, I really, really like. I'm not prepared to say that I love his work yet. Uh, I know lots of people love his film Suspiria. Suspiria is a film that didn't really work that well for me, but these other two uh, certainly worked extremely well, and I really wanted to put them on my on my list. Okay, certainly I've, I've never been shy about talking about controversial filmmakers. Roman Polanski is a controversial filmmaker. Not everybody um, can stand watching his work, perhaps due to uh, real-life scandals. Again, take a look at him as a filmmaker and then as an artist he's always been extraordinary and i one of the films that was a blind spot a movie that came out the year i was born two men and so it becomes kind of an extended uh and kind of epic uh i'm not sure love is the right word for it story but it is uh beautifully directed everything about it looks good the sets the costumes those who love costume dramas it is a long film just to look at it a little bit over three hours i didn't really feel the running time i i i have this it's you know i feel the running time if it's not a very good film but if it's a, a great film uh, I don't notice it as much. I've talked about that recently with some of Martin Scorsese's recent films where uh, they're long films when I take a look at the running time, but I get so engaged in the story that I, I can't help but, uh, but, but just love them. So this is, I think, I really do love the filmmaker Polanski, uh, despite everything else that he's done. But there's so many great films. Of course, Chinatown and Rosemary's Baby are always up there for me. You know, The Pianist and and, and, and so many others, Ghost Rider. I feel like he really takes me on this hypnotic journey. And that's always been the case, whether it's something he did in the, the 60s, all the way through his, his uh, rather long career. And uh, Tess is no exception. I think it's, I'm not sure I necessarily would have pegged him 
to uh, be the guy to direct this, but he does a, a spectacular job of it. And for those of you who are fans of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, there's a little bit of a hint as to, in the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood version of events, how Polanski would have ended up getting the novel and getting the idea to to make this film hinted at in, in that film. So I highly recommend Tess. And it's it's just an epic, extraordinary film. Uh, it moves at a good pace. Uh, and I think it's quite... Uh, I haven't read the novel, to be honest. I probably should have at this point. But from what I can tell, it's, it's quite a faithful uh, adaptation of the famous novel by Thomas Hardy. Okay, down to my number seven. This is another movie. It feels like the, I'm repeating myself. Movies that I've been trying for years to get a hold of and see. I finally, this year... Got a copy of Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, directed by Sam Peckinpah. This is Alfredo Garcia. He's about to become a very important man. We are looking for an old buddy of ours, a compadre named Alfredo Garcia. A private army is scouring three countries to find Alfredo Garcia. Well, don't worry if he's alive, I'll find him. Alive isn't our problem. Someone has offered a million dollars for his head. If I ever get my hands on him, I'm gonna kill him. All that we require from me is physical proof that Garcia is dead. And we're prepared to settle for his head. Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. This man will become an animal. Alfredo's our saint. He's a saint of our money. I'm gonna take it to him. I love you. This woman's dreams of love will be destroyed. I've been here before. You don't know the way. Innocent people will suffer. Without Alfredo's help, we can do anything, honey. Holy ground will be desecrated. You don't want me to be part of that, do you? You are a part of it. 25 people will die. Just being together is enough. No, it's not, baby. All because of Alfredo Garcia. And only one man really knows why. Kill him. Sam Peckinpah, director of the greatest adventure films of our time, has made possibly his most powerful and startling motion picture. I will, uh, of course, uh, incorporate this into a future show because I do have a physical copy of it. But to give you the hint ahead of time, uh, this movie did not disappoint. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's about an American barroom penis and his prostitute girlfriend who go on a trip through the Mexican underworld to collect this bounty on the head of a dead gigolo. And it is shocking. It is violent. It is uh, extreme. It is everything that you would expect from Sam Peckinpah, who was a maverick of a filmmaker, probably not the easiest person to work with or kind of uh, be around. I've covered, of course, uh, reviews of, of Straw Dogs, and I'm a big fan of his Western, famous Western, The Wild Bunch. I'm happy to see anything, even if it's not particularly good, by Sam Peckinpah. Again, he's like a Plansky. He has a very distinct style, in his films. I think all of his films do have the the idea of a Western, even if the story is 
set in the UK as it is in Straw Dogs, or uh, in this case, kind of in the border uh, and throughout Mexico. The the climax of this film is uh, extraordinary. It is violent. It is bloody. It also has kind of elements of a little bit of a revenge film. There's some really tough, shocking stuff that happens kind of in the middle part of the film. And then what the reaction is to a really key incident is is something else. So I, I am a fan, as I expected I would be. And it is on my number seven on my discoveries list this year. Number six is a movie, again, I mentioned with that Action April Challenge. I did very well with that this year. And it is The Taking of Pelham 123, directed by Joseph Sargent. 1.23 p.m. A crowded subway train starts its run from Pelham Station in the Bronx. 1.45 p.m., four desperate, heavily armed men seize control of the train. Open the door or I'll blow your head off. Taking 17 people as hostages. Your attention, please. Now then, you'll all remain seated. Anybody who tries to rise is going to get shot. <laughs> I do hope I have made myself understood. 2.13 p.m., the city of New York is given one hour to come up with a million-dollar ransom. You're out of your skull. No all units stand by on the double. What's up, Z? A train's been hijacked. Millions have read it. Now you can live it. The taking of Pelham. One, two, three. There is no way you can get away with this. You are underground in a tunnel. At precisely 3.13, we are going to begin executing the hostages. <laughs> Nothing will happen as long as you obey my orders. New York City is held powerless in the grip of four ruthless men from the mayor's office. Don't tell me I don't want to know. To police headquarters. I've got about 50 men inside the tunnel, all wearing vests and armed with machine and submachine guns. We could fight the Third World War down there. To the nerve center of the world's busiest subway system. My only priority is saving the lives of these passengers. Maybe an hour isn't enough time. An hour is plenty of time. We agree to pay the ransom. Repeat, we agreed to pay you the money, now turn your clock off. The money has to be counted, stacked, tied, transported uptown. It just isn't physically possible. You'd be surprised what's physically possible. Pelham 123's in motion. There's no How long does it take to get all that money together anyway? Just not gonna make it. We'll never make it. The passengers are dead ducks. What the hell they expect for that lousy 35 cents to live forever? Walter Matthau, Robert Shaw. The most spectacular hijack in history. The taking of Pelham. One, two, three. Of course, this is the original one about a a group of criminals who take a subway car hostage in the middle of the day in Manhattan. And what we have is uh, Walter Matthau trying to negotiate uh, an impossible hostage situation with impossible demands um, being, being made. Matthau, as I was saying, kind of, I've been branching out and looking at his kind of more serious work and action movies from the 1970s. And uh, he he really was a very good action movie star. I mean, we think of him as being the the uh, the comedian, and they do have a couple comedic bits in the film. But he he does a good job of anchoring the film. Robert Shaw as the villain 
if you can get Robert Shaw as your villain, then you're set. I mean, that's, that was the case here as the head of this uh, group that are uh, taking over the subway, this subway car, and are threatening to assassinate uh, people on the train uh, if they're not able to get the money in a really an, a, you know quick amount of time considering gathering the money and traveling through 19, mid-1970s Manhattan where there's all kinds of strikes and all kinds of other uh, issues going on. And, of course, it becomes a media frenzy. And there's a little bit of a discussion about how the mayor has kind of lost control over his city. Again, if you kind of look at the history of New York civic politics, that was very much... Uh, in play in the 1970s but uh there's a lot more than meets the eye to this one it again kind of like robert shaw appeared in the famous film uh the sting with uh one of the most famous uh plot twists in cinema history and he or whoever was choosing scripts for him in the 70s were dead on and of course you know his most famous performance being in jaws uh, Again, probably about a, a year or two after the Taking of Pelham 123 was released. So, uh, young Hector Elizondo, as I mentioned on the Action April show, is playing this uh, kind of hothead thug. It was kind of a kind of fun to see a guy who normally plays kind of these reserved characters um, be kind of that edgy and, and early in his career. Really fantastic action movie. If you like action movie, you like 70s films. I don't think you can do better than the taking of Bel- Pelham one, two, three. It's well, well, well worth your time. I still, at this point, have not seen the uh, remake directed by Tony Scott, but I, I intend to at some point here. All right, my number five. This is a movie I, I really didn't know what to expect from it. Uh, I've seen a lot of Clint Eastwood directed films. Um, this was an early one. This might have been his second film uh, from 1973 called Breezy. Her name is Breezy. The morning is a friend of mine. It always plays my song. Miss, uh, I don't pick up hitchhikers. And any time I ask the wind, it lets me tag along. What are you, anyway? I'm clean, for one thing. What are you? Nobody's fool, sweetheart. Get your clothes on. Party's over. You just keep mixing me up. Which am I? Am I the dum-dum that got taken last night or the witch who's trying to take you tonight? The day is shining in our hands Like a dime to spend together and we can talk of many things. Uh, my, uh, yes, my, my niece. Would you mind very much if I love you? I just would like to be able to say the words once in a while. I just haven't got you on there, Frank. There's a, a lot more involved than just your damn nerve. Sure, sex. What else, love? I don't hold you soon or touch you, I think I'm gonna die. Hello, Frank. God, you're young. <laughs> okay. I can't cope with it. I cannot cope with any of it. 
Maybe we'll make each other laugh And maybe we will cry Given Eastwood's age and everything, it was kind of an interesting uh, choice of a film here. But uh, it's essentially about uh, this rich, kind of lonely, disgruntled man played by William Holden. He plays Frank Harmon. And he meets this uh, kind of hippie-ish, runaway, free-spirited young woman named Breezy, played by Kay Lenz in a terrific performance. And she eventually ends up staying with him. And she has such a glasses half full approach, and then he, and he's a he's a become an old curmudgeon, and they develop a romance and a really affectionate relationship. This was again uh, early seventies. Some of the themes were really kind of out there. I'm not sure that this movie would be made, to be honest. Uh, now uh, there's a few movies in the seventies kind of like this. Somehow. As weird as it is, and if you see the film and you see how old William Holden looks in this film next to Kay Lenz, you're like, seriously? Like, this is supposed to be a romance? Somehow it, it works because the two opposite worlds collide in such a beautiful way. And somehow Clint Eastwood's direction, even at that time, was very, uh, you know, very tender, not showy. Uh, he just kind of presented the story as is. I am not, this is a little bit of a, to me, a forgotten film. I don't know to this day, like, how Eastwood feels about Breezy. But it it, it actually, I, I don't know, somehow it, it, it moved me, how, how it all plays out. And, uh, you know, I just had to go with my heart on this one. This was very high up. It, so I own a copy of it. They'll be kind of... At some point, um, a more traditional review of it with a, a guest, hopefully. Um, so I'll be interested to hear what somebody else has to say about this movie. But it managed to climb all the way to number five on my discoveries list. Okay, so going back to an Italian filmmaker, uh, I had had one of his films on uh, my discoveries list last year. Uh, Michelangelo Antonini, and my choice is La Notte. Molto bisogno d'affetto. Lei no. Giovanni, Lidia, Valentina. Tre esseri che si vogliono bene ciascuno a modo suo. Tre squarci di vita intima. Andiamo dove vuoi, ma non stiamo in casa. Tre creature che una spietata analisi dei propri sentimenti spinge verso l'inevitabile e dolorosa conclusione. Adesso vai da tua moglie e ci resti per tutta la serata. Il dramma che scaturisce da un amore che muore e una passione che nasce, ecco la bruciante vicenda del film di Michelangelo Antonioni. Perché non parliamo mai noi due? Sì, più tardi. Più tardi venga a rimboccarle le coperte e le racconto una bella favola. E la democrazia, per dirle in parole povere, significa fai quello che accade. Tu non sai che cosa vuol dire... Sentirsi addosso tutti gli anni e non capirli più.
I had looked at La Aventura, uh, Aventura last year was on my list. And uh, it's part of a trilogy as well as Le Elise and La Note. Le Elise did not work for me as well. It's still a, a very solid film for sure. But La Note is the one that stayed with me. About uh, a couple that are in kind of a, a dysfunctional marriage. And this is, a, this is a full day in their lives as they kind of go about together and at points separate moments. So Giovanni played by one of the greats, Marcello Mastroncioni, and Lydia, who is played by Jean Mar Moreau, very famous French actor. They've been married for several years and their marriage has become a functional arrangement devoid of love and any other emotion. They go through the motions but barely care anymore. After visiting a dying friend, their time together is filled with long silences. Lydia visits a neighborhood where they once lived, but little has changed there. And then they go to a party in the evening, and Giovanni spends his time not with his wife, but with a beautiful woman instead. That beautiful woman is uh, the character's Valentina Gerardini, played by Monica Vitti, who, again, was in a lot of Antonini's films and uh, was very much key uh, to La Ventura and gives a completely different performance and i kind of like this uh, supporting turn and is well aware of uh, giovanni and what giovanni wants but how that all plays out is really interesting and you know really becomes a little bit of a an in-between and has conversations and and really great scenes with both gene moreau and Marcello Mastrantoni. And this kind of leads to, as the party goes on from middle of the night into the early morning, you still kind of see this, this strange connection that uh, this couple has. And there's some really great scenes at the end. It just fascinated me uh, from the, the beginning shots where, of the film where they're going to the hospital together right through. I, I was going and I found this with his, his films that you go on this journey and you're not quite sure where you're going. And I think that was a big part of the Italian New Wave movement uh, that uh, that made it so fascinating and uh, then led to influencing so many of our great modern filmmakers who are now moved into the point where they're the kind of the older uh, classic filmmakers like, like Scorsese and De Palma and Coppola and all of those uh, filmmakers that came out of uh, kind of the 1970s and late 60s, 1970s. Lenot, uh, for those who... Uh, are interested in great Italian cinema. This is an absolute classic, and I think the whole trilogy is worthwhile, but I'd say uh, if I was to to rank them, Le Ventura would be number one, Le Nantes would be number two, and Le Lise would be number three for me. But uh, after I saw it, I thought, well, it, we're probably going here again, and it's going to be uh, on my discoveries list, and it was all the way up uh, number four. Number three, again, I've, I spoke about this one with Action April, very highly, Le Samurai.
directed by Jean-Pierre Melville. Uh, I, I just absolutely love this film. About essentially an, an assassin who follows the rules of being a samurai, but unfortunately a, a job goes a little bit wrong. Uh, there are uh, a couple witnesses. Things look like they're going to work out okay for him, but he's attracted enough suspicion that instead of hunting people to assassinate, he's now become the hunted. Really want to shout out Elaine Delon, a great uh, fr French actor who is the lead, Jeff Costello in this. Fascinating screen presence. Everything he does is interesting. And this movie, I would still argue, is one of, has one of the greatest chase sequences of all time, where all of these different all resources all through Paris are, the police resources are trying to, to catch him. And they're communicating from neighborhood to neighborhood when anytime somebody would see him and he's finding ways to escape this chase. And uh, it's a really, really interesting, well-directed, ambitious sequence. Uh, again, this is part of the French New Wave movement. Of course, I'm a huge fan of uh, Jean-Luc Godard. And uh, I, I feel like I have so much more to explore still like and there's so many Francois Truffaut films I've not seen yet but Melville was mentioned among those those great filmmakers from the French New Wave again their influence as well as the Italians and you know basically the the new wave throughout European cinema had a huge influence on the change where we kind of moved away from the traditional formulaic Hollywood studio type of film and into deconstruction and reevaluation and, uh, and taking a critical look at uh, where we're at, you know, or where we are at at that time in American cinema and uh, and kind of moving forward. I, I feel like at points now we've, we've, we've made our way back to that crucial point where there's another evolution and changes happening to cinema and which way are uh, people going to go? I'm glad that the writer strike and the actor strike have ended. But it was kind of looking beyond the borders. The thing I will say that's very positive right now as far as, as we move into the award season is the last oh, 10 years or so uh, looked beyond just the United States for and even beyond Great Britain for the, uh, the films that are, are worthy of awards consideration. And I know there's... There's several international films this year that are have a shot at um, getting several Oscar nominations, if not being up for Best Picture, and uh, it's it's really a, a positive thing here. And you can really trace it back to these early days where these film fans who became filmmakers discovered these uh, these these great films and uh, at art house theaters and. It uh, started to influence their work there. So, uh, number three, Le Samurai. Once again, directed by Jean-Pierre Melville. I'm an enormous fan of that movie. My top two are, are films that I think a lot of people will know. And they're a little bit more... I don't know if mainstream is the right word. My number two choice is The Big Chill. It's about everything. Uh, uh, suicide, despair, uh, where did our hope go? Lost hope, that's it, lost hope. Columbia Pictures invites you... To return to the weekend that started it all. Yeah! Remember the music and the moments. The ground is ready. I just need someone to plant the seed. Yeah, but who's going to be the lucky farmer? You want me to what? The friendship. Oh my God! And the romance. Alex and I made love the night before he died. It was fantastic. <laughs> the laughter. <laughs> And the tears. I feel like I was at my best when I was with you people. Not me. 
Getting away from you people is the best thing ever happened to me. I mean, how much sex, fun, friendship can one man take? <laughs> Fifteen years ago, The Big Chill helped launch the careers of some of today's biggest stars and became one of the most memorable films of the decade. You were hallucinating pretty bad that night. And we didn't even have any drugs. Now, on November 6th, the Big Chill is back on the big screen. Really? Really? On a digitally remastered print and in stereo for the first time. Tom Berenger, Glenn Close, Jeff Goldblum, William Hurt, Kevin Klein, Mary Kay Place, Meg Tilly, and Joe Beth Williams. You know, you'd never get a crowd this big at my funeral. Oh, Karen, come on, I'll come and, uh, you know, I'll bring a date. In a cold world. Wise up, folks, we're all alone out there. You still need your friends to keep you warm. I don't know what people think about me. You don't have that problem here. You know I don't like you. The Big Chill, a Lawrence Kasdan film. In theaters November 6th. Directed by Lawrence Kasdan. This is a movie I had seen individual scenes and sections of before. But this year was the first time that I was able to sit down beginning to end. I watched my Criterion Collection version of the film. So, of course, uh, I'll do a little, a bit of more thorough review of The Big Chill sometime in the future. But it is uh, a fantastic artifact of the 1980s. And, you know, a, a group of friends who, you know, grew up in the 60s and were very much of the 60s culture uh, reunite after the unfortunate suicide of a friend and we kind of see how past relationships uh, and their their feelings are still sort of there and the whole thing is a little bit messy and there's people who have changed and in some ways look like they have sold out uh, it's a great ensemble cast so many uh, so many terrific performances I, I would like to shout out, of course, big fan, always have been a big fan of Kevin Klein. still fairly early in his career. If you want to see Tom Berenger in a role where he's not playing some sort of like uh, villain or kind of heavy military presence, uh, he's he's awesome. He's become uh, this television star and has had great success. And when he comes back and he's he's interacting with his friends, there's a d different dynamic there. Glenn Close. It's fantastic. Has some some great scenes. Jeff Goldblum, who's always a welcome presence um, in the film. Love the late great William Hurt, um, and Mary Kay Place gives a tremendous performance. Meg Tilly almost steals the show for me. Joe Beth Williams, uh, all put together by a great writer director. Love Lawrence Kasdan when he's making movies like this. He's on solid ground. He's a very good Western director as well. He has made some weird choices at points in his career. A movie called uh, Stephen King adaptation called Dreamcatcher, which didn't work out very well. I guess I, I appreciate him trying to do do some different things here. But I think the 80s and a bit of the 90s, they were a little bit of a nicer time uh, to him. I'm a big fan of, uh, to me, a, a companion piece of the big chill is uh, Grand Canyon, uh, a really underrated 1990s film, a 1991 film. This movie just made me appreciate cinema, and not cinema where it's a 
you know, a big visual spectacle and a big sound immersion experience. Just the fact that cinema can still be big on a screen and you can watch these human relationships play out and ordinary people put into extraordinary circumstances and come together and you kind of walk away from it, you know, thinking about your own life. And maybe because these characters are pretty close to the age that I am now, maybe a touch younger, actually, it's just kind of, you know, looking back on your life. And uh, that's a little bit of what the, the middle age thing is. And so maybe the big chills for middle aged people. But I think it also uh, it, it, it works. It works incredibly well uh, for to me, all, all all audiences. I think people will really get something out of this. Uh, to this day, I, I don't think it's aged too too badly for uh, an '80s film. And part of it is that soundtrack, great soundtrack, beginning to end, '60s music, um, and you kind of watch a little bit of the hypocrisy of still loving the music from their era, but the values of that music in that time have uh, uh, have switched as life has you know changed and uh, the responsibilities have changed. And it was uh, very much a a perfect movie to be kind of in the heart of the Ronald Reagan uh, era in the United States. And so the big chill was, was fantastic. But what would be my number one? Well, I just talked about it on the Hagsploitation episode with Carmelita. Film I should have seen years ago, Billy Wilder's Sunset Boulevard. talking from the bedroom of Norma Desmond. Don't bother with a rewrite, man. Take this direct. Ready? As day breaks over the murder house. Yes, you'll read the big black headlines about Norma Desmond and this Hollywood scandal. But you'll never read the true story about the rest of us who were part of it. Me, for instance. Joe Gillis, a promising young writer from Dayton, Ohio. And Betty, that nice kid I met at a Hollywood party who knew nothing about me, but knew what she wanted. Don't you love Artie? Of course I love him. I always will. I'm just not in love with him anymore. What happened? You did? Well, we should have lived happily ever after, like they do in the movies. But this was different, because this is a Hollywood story about the people who make the movies, the little ones that you never hear of, like Betty and me, the great ones like Cecil B. DeMille, all those who knew Norma Desmond, a strange woman who left her mark on all of us, who crossed her path. Has it ever occurred to you that I may have a life of my own, that there, there may be some girl that I'm crazy about? Who? Some car hop or a dress extra? What I'm trying to say is that I'm all wrong for you. You want a Valentino, somebody with polo ponies, a big shot. What you're trying to say is you don't want me to love you. Say it. Gloria Swanson, one of the great personalities of this generation in a role that comes to an actress once in a lifetime. Rising to the heights, William Holden creates a startling portrayal. And a new star is born in Sunset Boulevard, Miss Nancy Olson. Joe? 
Where are you? What's this all about? Why don't you come out and see for yourself? The address is 10,086 Sunset Boulevard. Yes, come out to see for yourself the film that reaches a new milestone of dramatic daring. The film that every critic says is a giant among motion pictures. covered it we we covered it thoroughly but i you know this this is a movie that you know giving given a little bit more time it may become my favorite billy wilder film i still stand by the idea that it's my favorite is the apartment but wow everything everything about sunset boulevard is spot on it is uh the ultimate film that is in a place to both criticize and celebrate Hollywood and Gloria Swanson I gushed about it the last episode Gloria Swanson gives one of the greatest performances of all time if for nothing else you check out what she does in that film William Holden does a good job of playing the central character and there are several other really terrific performances and fun cameos by those who started Hollywood and this was again I just talked about the, the new wave movement and how that influenced the 1970s filmmakers, which influenced, you know, a lot of the 90s filmmakers and where we are today at a little bit of an impasse about are we going to mostly just do superhero movies for the next 20 years or are we going to start to look kind of beyond our uh, the North American and uh, UK borders for uh, different stories. And I think we're, you know, in some ways we're moving in positive directions. I'm not sure we're moving in positive directions as far as the uh, going to the movie theater experience that, you know, it has to be a big billion dollar film for us to be able to get there. And this was kind of where things were at with these poor people, silent film actors who helped build and create the Hollywood that the talkies were able to celebrate in the 1950s. And we will see uh, what's happened to this once great Hollywood legend. But also the, the relationship between William Holden and, and Gloria Swanson is, is, is amazing. It's a reverse dynamic of having the powerful woman uh, in control, but a lot of emo emotional manipulation and really kind of a, coming down to this idea of do you want money and money for the rest of your life and security or do you want love and happiness and a chance to be successful in in your art and in the case of William Holden's character it's uh, as a, a screenwriter and when that choice is revealed it's uh, really surprising it's not necessarily what one would expect I think they they never take the easy road with that film there's uncomfortable scenes. There are kind of comedic scenes. There are things I said, especially like this old mansion that has a bit of a, a horror exterior aesthetic. I would never call it a horror movie for sure. But and again, terrific cast. Eric Von Stroheim playing Max, the long Norma Desmond's long serving butler, where their relationship has a really interesting twist towards the end. And I uh, really like Nancy Olsen as Betty Schaefer, who 
There's a script assistant who, you know, William Holden gets his guard up because she criticizes him. Um, But later on, she realizes that there are some really good ideas that she would love to develop with him. And there is a little bit of a, again, I talked about it in my review, a little bit of a romance that sparks between the two of them. But that has a purpose and it's handled in a beautiful way. So I, I would say 2023 for me, I've yet to fully assess it as a movie year for new movies. But I would say the the movies that I watched, not from 2023, that I discovered this year were were amazing and again i could have had probably 10 lists of top 10s they were so good this year um and i i look forward to continuing to discover new films in 2024 and uh i appreciate you listening to this episode with my uh uh cold and everything and just kind of uh going through it here but i i really wanted to get this episode out there so people can discover for themselves uh some of these fantastic movies and i think you know it's it's good to look to the decades before and not just kind of stick to what's a movie that's been released in the last five years uh to really discover the the history and the value of storytelling at different times in different countries uh with cinema so until then uh again please uh, check out uh, some friendly podcasts, Rank and Review, Film Feast, A Lifetime of Hallmark, Schlock and Awe. And uh, we'll be back, I believe, to next show will be with my friend Sheldon Matico. And we're going to be talking about great comedian, Mr. John Candy. Uh, until then, be safe and be kind to one another and keep supporting the movies.